morning, White Hart Lane, and welcome to Behind the Lights with me, Seb. And me, Jono. As always, we pay respect to the traditional custodians of the land we are coming from, the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation. As always, a busy sporting week, Jono. Um, headlined NRL Finals Week 2, so Elimination Semi-Finals this weekend. Manly ran out uh, big winners over the Roosters, 42 points to 6, while the Panthers defeated the Eels, 8 points to 6, in a classic semi-final clash on Saturday. Manly just proved a little bit too good for a Roosters team, obviously. A lot of injury suspensions affecting that team with Tom Trevojevic returning to some of his best form, while the Panthers and the Eels played out a classic game, especially that second half. There was no points scored in the second half, but brutal defence by both teams. Um, but unfortunately, the Roosters and Eels season ends uh, in week two, Jono. But um, a couple of good you know, semi-final games, um, especially that Panthers-Eels game on Saturday night. Yeah, you got one that was pretty much, you know, just that tight classic game, as you said. And then the other one that just was already almost a runaway at halftime. So the tale of two stories there for both the games, but um, both the Reese's and Eels both had great seasons overall. Nothing to necessarily be disappointed besides, of course, everybody wants to make that finals run. Um, but it'll be interesting to see now Manly and the Panthers continue on their, their hopes to a title. Yeah, we'll talk about the preliminary finals a little bit later on, a little bit more detail. AFL, it's grand final week. It's finally here. So Melbourne versus the Western Bulldogs. Uh, a couple of statistics going into grand final week. Um, it's one all between the teams this year. So obviously both teams are winning one each against each other. The Dogs uh, won the last game between the teams in round 19. Melbourne will be going for their first flag since 1964. So many of their younger fans have never seen them. the Demons uh, win a flag, while the Dogs are in their second grand final in five years after upsetting the Sydney Swans in 2016. Some key players for Melbourne, Ruckman and All-Australian captain Max Gorn will again be the most influential big man in the grand final, standing at 208 centimetres. So he'll be, again, influential to see how the Ds go on grand final day. While Christian Petrarca's ability to win the ball and burst away from contests in the midfield along with Jake Lever's ability to turn defence and attack, especially if Stephen May um, is hampered by hamstring issues for the Ds, uh, will prove crucial um, in hopefully trying to guide Melbourne to their first grand final victory um, since 1964. For the Western Bulldogs, Dogs captain Marcus Bontepelli will again be a huge influence. Um, obviously, his leadership will prove crucial. While the Dogs, uh, if they are to beat the Ds, will also have to rely, I guess, on Jack McRae's work and ability to win the ball in the midfield, um, which will obviously dictate much of the dogs go forward, as well as Bailey Smith's influence um, in that midfield, along with his ability to get forward and kick crucial goals. In the coaching box, Melbourne coach Simon Goodwin will be going into his first grand final as a coach after winning two as a play with Adelaide, while Western Bulldogs coach Luke Beveridge will enter in his second grand final after the success of 2016. But Jono, this game is has got all the makings of a real classic um, on Saturday afternoon, evening in, uh, in Perth. Yeah, I mean, even if, as you said, kind of going back, I know we touched on it last week as well, but series split at 1-1. So essentially, you can't necessarily go off what's happened in the season. You have history on both sides as well. And I like that point as well that you bring into it. You know, Melbourne going for that first one since 1964. That's just an incredible feat for, for a club. Um, at their stature as well. So it's just going to be, you know, it's going to be an interesting battle. And it's just, as you said, there's some really good points there to keep an eye out for. But um, realistically, 
If you look at what happened in the season, it's anyone's game. But again, I'm still going to back my Melbourne. And, you know, as you said, that history of trying to, to break um, the drought since 1964, who doesn't want that for a club as well? So it'll be incredible scenes there, regardless of who wins. And just looking forward to an incredible game. Yeah, I think many neutrals will probably be jumping on the Melbourne bandwagon. Be obviously the fairy tale to see them finally break their premiership curse. Obviously, it's been a long <laughs> wait uh, for them. I'm still going to jump the uh, jump on the Western Bulldogs. I'm going to follow them. They've obviously had the harder route to get through. Obviously, finishing fifth, so they've had to play three games to get into the grand final. Uh, but I think the Western Bulldogs are primed for another premiership uh, possible tilt here. Um, but as I said, hopefully it should be a classic game. Uh, it's going to be played in Perth, obviously taken away from the traditional heartland in Melbourne because of COVID, uh, but it should be a great atmosphere out at Optus Stadium uh, on Saturday afternoon, evening, uh, Australian time. Also in some AFL news, Port Adelaide midfielder Ollie Wines has won the Brownlow medal for the AFL's best and fairest. Wines finished with 36 votes and became Port Adelaide's first ever Brownlow winner. So congratulations to Ollie Wines. Some football news, and we'll start with some sad news. Um, so former England, Tottenham, and Chelsea great legend Jimmy Greaves has died aged 81. Uh, Greaves remains the highest score in English top flight football with 357 goals. He was also an esteemed football pundit and TV personality um, after his playing career. So Jono, another legend of the game, unfortunately, passes away. Yeah, as you said, it's it's a sad day for the football community. And as you said, what he's been able to accomplish, what he was able to accomplish on the field, as well as then, you know, those just touch a little bit more, those ones that have that post-playing career in terms of TV and things like that just mean that they resonate with you that much more. So very sad to see the passing of Jimmy. Yeah, an incredible um, score of goals, Jimmy Graves. So uh, obviously pass on our condolences to his family and friends. On the field, and it was English Premier League week five. Newcastle and Leeds played out a 1-1 draw. Brentford defeated Wolves 2-0 to start there. Uh, keep up there. Good start to the year. Arsenal defeated Burnley 1-0. Liverpool defeated Crystal Palace 3-0. So they're looking good again, Liverpool. Manchester City and Southampton played out a 0-0 draw. While Watford defeated Norwich 3-1. Aston Villa defeated Everton 3-0. Manchester United had a dramatic win over West Ham 2-1, which we can go into a little bit later on. Chelsea, they really are looking like the real deal to defeat a Tottenham at 3-0. Or Brighton uh, defeated Leicester City 2-1 to continue their great start to the year as well. In the Italian Serie A, Inter Milan defeated Bologna 6-1. Verona upset Jose Mourinho's Roma 3-2. Juventus and AC Milan played out a 1-1 draw in the big game in Italy. While Lazio and Cagliari played a 2-2 draw. In the Spanish La Liga, Atletico Madrid drew 0-0 with Atletico Bilbao. Real Sociedad 0, Sevilla 0. While Real Madrid scored two late goals to beat Valencia 2-1. Barcelona are to play Granada tomorrow morning, Australian yep. time. In the German Bundesliga, Bayern Munich 7, Bochum 0. They are looking like, again, they'll be a powerhouse again Huge this year. Don't know, hard to yeah. beat in Germany. Uh, Lewandowski cannot stop scoring. While FC Cologne and RB Leipzig drew 1-1. Borussia Dortmund defeated Unen Bulen 4-2 with Erling, Erling Haaland scoring again. Another one. While Wolfsburg and Eintracht Frankfurt drew 1-1. In Ligue 1, it was Messi's first home game for PSG as they defeated Lyon 2-1 with an injury time winner for Argentinian striker Mario Acardi. 
But uh, Messi was substituted in the 76th minute. Didn't look too impressed when Pochettino took him off, but it did end in a victory for PSG. While in the Scottish Premier League, Livingston upset Celtic 1-0 to um, condemn them to their third loss of the year, while Rangers and Motherwell drew 1-1. Rangers are still top um, of the Scottish Premiership at the moment. In rugby, the rugby championship, Australia defeated South Africa 30-17. to So that was their second consecutive victory over the world champion South Africa. So an impressive showing by Australia up at Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane. While well, New Zealand, obviously too good for Argentina, 36 points to 13. So New Zealand still take top of the table undefeated, while South Africa stays second, one point ahead of third-placed Australia. NFL, Jono, it was week two. Um, and some big headlines and some big games coming out of uh, week two. What uh, caught your eye um, this weekend? Yeah, some huge games. Essentially, you know, there's plenty of thrills there. A lot of games kind of went all the way down to the wire. Um, I think even just starting off with Thursday night football, one game that kind of stood out to me was the Giants game against Washington football team. Um, It really went down to the end. Giants looked quite good. They had their chances. But again, it's just that last little bit in that fourth quarter to really put them over the edge. So is it going to be a bit of a struggle season? It might be if they're not able to get over the edge. But again, they looked pretty solid in most positions. Um, But in the end, just Washington kind of beat them out on that last little bit, um, that last field goal there. I thought as well, the Ravens against Kansas City, that was just an incredible game. And again, Lamar Jackson as well just showed his athleticism and showed that he can carry this Ravens team. Now, I do think if you look at a whole season, he's not going to be able to do that throughout the whole season. So they're going to need some help if they're going to want to get at those high levels. But I think that what Lamar Jackson was able to prove is that, you know, you might think that he's somebody that you're going to figure out, but again, he could just pull out another trick. Um, And that's just exactly what he did. And then lastly, just the old vet, it just seems like he's not stopping. Tom Brady threw for five touchdowns and a great win again for Tampa Bay, which is just incredible to see him just keep producing at this level you know, he, he's off to another great start. Essentially, you know, you have to even put him up there as, you know, we're only in week two, but as an early MVP candidate, um, it's looking like offensively as well. Tampa Bay is just on another level. So it's just something what to about keep the rumors that he said he could play on to 50. Oh, I mean, at this level, I, I, I wouldn't believe him out. I wouldn't put it past him because what he's able to produce is just, it's incredible. You see some of these young quarterbacks who are halfway through their career right now, not able to produce at that level and and his composure as well. You got to think about it. He's not the most mobile quarterback. So yes, he has that offensive line protecting him, but he has that composure and he knows when to throw, knows when to throw it away as well. Um, So it's just, it's that footballing mind that he brings. And that's what, that's another level. And I think that's, what's carrying him into now this longevity of a career is that his ability to slow down the game and really process everything around him. So again, just another, another great week. Um, and I guess even just a little tip in as well, just my Arizona Cardinals, again, just tapped in a great uh, little uh, comeback. Yeah, Colin Murray as well, looking incredible. Um, so, yeah, some great results in the NFL. And it just keeps producing. I think the games for these first two weeks have just really drawn in um, in terms of just high performances all throughout. It hasn't been many too many big blowouts or anything like that. It's been some really close games, which is exactly what you want to see early on. And you want to see this to kind of last throughout the season as a spectator. Unfortunately, my New Orleans Saints, I couldn't back up after last week's impressive win, losing to the Panthers, 26 points to seven. But week three rolls on. And um, as I said, always intriguing storylines coming out of the NFL. Well, as we touched on before, it's NRL preliminary final week. Uh, Friday night, we have South Sydney playing Manly. 
While many people's tips to be the grand final, a game early though on Saturday evening, it is Melbourne versus Penrith. We'll start with South Sydney Manly. They've only met once this year. South Sydney belted Manly early on in the year, but obviously a lot's changed for both teams. Um, Latrell Mitchell obviously was the big miss for South coming into these finals, but young South fullback Blake Tuff was outstanding against, against Penrith last week or the week before, especially um, with Cleary's kicking game. He was able to obviously perform confidently under the high ball and, and proved um, he wasn't phased by playing at this level. Uh, John, going into this game, obviously South had that week off obviously to rest up, which is crucial, I think, at this time of the year, um, especially in such a physical game as NRL. Um, but Manly coming in off, obviously, that good win over the Roosters, um, obviously after that disappointment against Melbourne. Um, should be a great game, plenty of points, hopefully. Um, but I think, obviously, defence, as always, when it comes to these games, is going to be the key, um, especially with both teams um, having so many points in them. Yeah, and I mean, as you said, what Manly was able to produce against the Roosters was incredible. And I think that it was almost... A lot of it had to do with their first result as well, them getting essentially just, it almost seemed manhandled as well by Melbourne. So what that kind of did is they kind of had to take a hard look as well and recognize that they have to come out at these games from the start. Um, so having said that, yes, I do think that, you know, rest is going to is gonna play huge into this as well, that, you know, the Rabbitohs have had that extra little bit of rest. But um, if Manly are able to sustain the level that they were able to produce against the Roosters and not go back into those ways that they went into that first game against Melbourne, then I think that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Um, we didn't necessarily see the full effect. You know, like what what is the the lack of having Latrell Mitchell? What is that actually going to have on the on the Rabbitohs? But it's going to be something um, to really keep an eye on as well. And I think it's just going to be a cracking game going into it. The other big battle, I think, is going to come, obviously, in the halves. So Adam Reynolds potentially could be his last game for South Sydney, um, obviously moving to the Broncos next year. And uh, Daly Cherry Evans has been in great form. Tom Dravojevic has, has taken the headlines for the Manly Seagulls, but I think Daly Cherry Evans' form has just been as crucial in terms of getting the Seagulls to this point. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how those two uh, perform, especially the key games of both teams. Um, and obviously the attacking threats of Cody Walker, who's been outstanding for South Sydney this year. Um, as I mentioned before, if Manly are to win, Tom Dravojevic is going to obviously yeah. have to have another big game. And the other big area, I think, which is going to, I guess, be crucial to, to whichever team comes out on top is the forward packs. They need to be able to lay that foundation um, for their halves and creative players uh, to play off the back of that. So we should be in, in for a cracking game, Jono. Tip? South Sydney or Manly to move through to the grand final? Look, I mean, I didn't pick anything right last week, but I'm going to stick with my guns here with recent momentum. And what Manly was able to show against the Roosters, like I said, they can come out the way that they did in that first half. I think that it's going to be a hard, hard game for the Rabbitohs. So I'm going to give it as a close one. I'm going to, I'm going to push Manly over the edge here and say that Manly has it in them if they can come out in the first half the way that they were able to against the Roosters. Like I said, there's a big if there, but I'm going to give them a little bit of an edge here. Well, I think you know who I'm going to go for. I'm going to go with my, <laughs> you got go it. With my heart here and, and tip Manly to, uh, to make the grand final first time since 2013. But as I said, it should be hopefully a cracking game on Friday night. And then if we didn't think it could get any bigger, Melbourne versus Penrith, probably the two Huge. best teams yeah. this year. Um, obviously, Penrith suffered that upset victory against South in week one of the finals. Most people thought this would be the grand final. It's coming yep. a, a week early. 
Uh, Melbourne first, Jonna. Again, with South, as with South Sydney, they've had the week off after that big win over Manly. The return of Josh Adekar also this week, which will be a big in. Um, but Melbourne, not too many weaknesses in that team. The, the return forming of Ryan Pappenhausen against Manly was outstanding. Harry Grant, Brandon Smith at that dummy half in number nine. And obviously Cameron Munster in that half controlling the tempo. John and Melbourne are going to be hard to beat. Yeah, that it's it's just going to be hard to beat. And as you said as well, the return of that car as well is just going to make it even harder to beat them. There was not many faults that you could point out in their first, you know, against Manly there. There's nothing really to, to point fingers at. Um, I just think overall they're just too strong. But as you said, realistically, this is the finals match that everybody thought was going to happen. So, again, it could really go any way. But, again, just Melbourne looked way too strong right now. But anything could happen, you know, on the field. But when you look at it from a surface level, and, again, like I said, the return of Adokar as well is just another offensive threat there. Um, so it's just going to be, you know, Melbourne's – it's almost in my eyes it's Melbourne's game to lose at this point um, because of how strong they've been, they've been going recently. On the other side of it, Penrith have had to come, I guess, the harder route. So they haven't had that luxury of having a week off. But um, that game against Parramatta, that was real final football. So they they know they're going to be in for another hard contest against Melbourne. They're going to have to be at their best to defeat them. Um, obviously, it's going to depend around their number seven, Nathan Cleary. Yep. Um, his kicking game is going to be, again, crucial to see how he can position his team and obviously give them as much field position as they can get, especially against Melbourne, which I think, well, I think possession is going to be key. Um, they're going to need a, a 50-50 um, weight of possession. If, if Melbourne dominate that area, I think they're going to be too good for Penrith. Also the return of possibly Brian Toho on the wing. He's such a great yardage man as well. Um, can get him out of trouble, especially in their, in their defensive half. So hopefully he will return this week after missing last week through an ankle complaint. Um, but again, I think we're going to be in for a cracking game. I think there's not going to be much, too much between these teams. Uh, Penrith did knock off Melbourne earlier this year. Yep, um, yep. So they have beaten the Storm this year. Uh, but Jono, I think it's a bit of a flip of a coin for this one. But uh, who are you going to back between Melbourne and Penrith? Yeah, look, I think this one is going to be hard. But like I said, I think Melbourne just are going to be too strong. And I think the the biggest weakness with Penrith is, is what you were saying before as well, is just the rest that they just don't have that ability to rest some of their players. They're picking up a couple of knocks here and there. And I think that might be the difference here is that Melbourne has had that time to rest, to bring back some really key players was well, Penrith coming into this game now with a couple little, little niggling um, knocks here and there. And that might just be that little bit of difference to then push Melbourne over the edge. So I'm going to back Melbourne here for this one. Well, I'm going to go with Penrith. Ooh. I'm going to go in a little bit of an upset. I'm going to go Penrith to beat Melbourne. I think, uh, obviously, the losing last year's grand final will prove a motivation for Penrith, yep. and they obviously yep. want to take that one step better this year. So, Jono, you're going to go for a Manly Melbourne grand final. I am going to go for a Manly Penrith grand final, but all that will be answered this weekend. It should yep. be two cracking preliminary finals, and we're really looking forward to it. Uh, as we mentioned, Premier League week five. Uh, Jono, another cracking round of English Premier League action. What were your three focus points or three main areas to take out of week five? Yeah, so I guess my first one is essentially for me, Man City being held to pretty much just one shot on target, not many chances for me. I don't think they necessarily have an excuse of not creating more chances, even though they might have a lack of an out-and-out what we call striker. The quality that they have on that field at any position 
I don't think that there's an excuse for them to be held to just creating one central shot on target, the lack of creating chances as well. And you know what? Yeah, they were able to get through last season. The whole thing was Pep constantly changing his formations, everything making do with what they have. But I just don't think that's a good enough excuse anymore because, like I said, in every single position, they have those players who do score goals. No matter if you look from who's playing up top to going all the way back to who's playing in the back as well, they have attacking wing backs. You know, they have center backs who can get up and be an aerial threat. They have players in the midfield who, who create chances, who can take chances, who can strike a ball from long range. They have other players there as well who are able to put the ball in the back of the net and, you know, throughout other years as well, put up really good goal numbers. So their performance for me was, you know, lackluster in terms of creating chances in front of goal. And I just don't think that there's an excuse for it overall. Um, I think we give Man City, you know, a lot of excuses throughout throughout all the years. We, you know, them, the lack of winning Champions Leagues, things like that. We, we allow them to have excuses. And I'm just tired of hearing that. I don't think that they have any excuses based on the quality that they have on the field in comparison to the rest of the teams out there in the English Premier League. Then I also think as well, um, that both Chelsea and Liverpool are really just showing that they should really both be a shoe in for at least the top four position, if not almost the one, two spot at this point. Um, I think they both look great offensively, uh, defensively as well. You know what? I think that they're showing that they, they do have that attacking ability as well as the ability as well to hold it down at times. Um, it's kind of crazy that they both have, if you look at their records, essentially pretty much identical in terms of their scorelines that they've been able to produce um, against other opponents. But I think that they're both what they're showing at, uh, in these early stages is that they're both pretty much locks for a top four position. If not, like I said, one or two might be finishing for them. Um, I kind of wrote Liverpool off a little bit towards the beginning of the year and said that, you know, their inconsistencies last year is going to show up again this year, but so far they've shown that they are a force to be reckoned with. And we knew Chelsea was going to be a hard team to go against. And they're just showing that, you know what, everything that they've done in the off season has really proven to be the correct move. And then la lastly, I looked at this Everton team and I just think that you know, they, they lack a bit of depth at times um, in terms of their overall squad production. And um, when you're missing some of the big guns, so Calvin Lewis and Richarlson, and particularly going forward, I'm looking at a little bit more um, that I just, you know, I, I just feel like at times without those players, they don't always have the chances created. It doesn't mean that they always have to be the ones scoring the goals, but it's also those ones that are creating the chances for them. And so, you know, you look at them last year and at the beginning of last year, you kind of Put them as you know they they could be one of those top teams maybe top six in and around that race but how they're kind of coming out at the beginning of this season it's like i said without those key players it seems that they're really dropping off especially offensively and i do hope that they kind of can regroup from that and some of those players can really step up and start creating a bit more chances because i think overall quality that team is really a mid-level mid-top level team but again, you know, right now it's just showing, I think these last couple of games have shown a little bit of lack of depth overall in that squad. And I really hope that they can rebound from that and have a pretty decent season. Because like I said, overall, that team, I think they're a lot better than the kind of just that mid-level. I think they're that, that top to mid-level kind of team. So I really hope that they can bounce back. But I kind of just saw a little bit of lack of depth overall from this week's performance. Yeah, I think you're right with Everton. I think... Um... It's going to be interesting to see once they get to that middle part of the year, middle to the yep. end part of the year, and where they're going to be positioned. For me, Jono, uh, Brighton, 
um, continuing their great start to the year, sitting in a Champions League spot at the moment, oh, in fourth, huge. four wins out of their five. Um, so some really good stuff happening down at Brian. They've built over the last few years. Um, so great to see um, them playing some good football. Good to see Denny Welbeck getting on the score yep. sheet for them this week as well. So a good win over Leicester, of a good Leicester City team. So uh, hopefully Brian can continue that bright start to the year. Um, like you touched on, the lack of a true striker at Manchester City, will it come back to bite them? These are the games that you really oh. do see it against us. To be fair, a really good plucky Southampton team. So all credit to that Southampton team for the way they defended. But they're the games you look at. Would a true striker have made the difference and just that one chance? Um, because you saw a lot of crosses into the box and there wasn't really that presence for Manchester City to get onto those crosses such as like a Lukaku or Harry Kane at his best. So uh, yep. we should to see as the season progresses. While um, we've seen this raise its head before, but did David Moyes make the wrong decision in bringing club captain Mark Noble on for an injury time penalty? So as we said, it was a dramatic game between Manchester United and West Ham. And United 2-1 up, 94th minute. West Ham get a penalty. Mark <laughs> Noble, the club captain, brought on just to take the penalty. When will they misses. learn? When will they learn? I think we discussed about it in the Euros <laughs> when Gareth Southgate made that decision with the England team. I just don't think that is a wise decision. You're going to get people saying, well, you don't need to warm up for a penalty, but I still think you need a feel for the game and the pressure to come on and, and convert. It doesn't matter how old you are and experienced yeah. you are. Mark Noble was an experienced campaigner. Yeah. Um, I just think they got that wrong. Um, and I just don't think that is that works for penalties. And surely there's someone on that team who has the confidence to take a penalty. I know West Ham's current or latest sort of penalty streak hasn't been positive, but um, I just think they got that wrong um, on the weekend um, in that dramatic game. Also, Jono, in the Premier League, uh, the game between Tottenham and Chelsea was the first net zero football game. So this was in partnership with uh, head broadcaster Sky Sports, so raising awareness of the threat of climate change. Uh, Tottenham were actually voted the Premier League's greenest club in a un back study early this year. And, John, I guess what it raised the question was is how important is it for sporting organisations and clubs to start raising the awareness and actually um, about the threat of climate change and obviously uh, initiating, I guess, um, I guess things within the club that, that obviously raise awareness and obviously help clubs and, and way football become greener. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this is a is a great step and a great example of what could be what could be done now going into the future as well. And what probably should have been done a lot sooner than this as well. Um, clubs should really be embracing this. Cause again, you look at a club and you want to leave a lasting legacy, you know, in, in terms of what you do on the footballing pitch, as well as what you do off the field as well. We've seen how important the social responsibility is and everything like that. And again, this ties into those kinds of things. And I think it's really important for these clubs to, to step up and do this and partake in, in these kinds of activities as well and keep raising awareness, keep doing things that you can do and you have control of as well. You know, whether it's putting solar panels all throughout the roofing of all these big stadiums or, you know, investing and making sure that you're partnering up with other green energy companies or, you know, low impact um, you know, it could even be something as as low impact and biodegradable material in terms of the vendings and, and food inside the stadiums and everything. And looking at, I know this was looked at as well in this game of plant-based foods and things along those lines, taking those little steps that could really have a lasting impact because what it does is it doesn't always just only put, you know, a positive image and you're, you're contributing to the overall positive change of this world. But what you're also doing is you could be influencing this fan base and the other people around to then start for them to start making those changes in their lifestyle as well. 
So your little your impact on the club could have such a greater impact for this world. And I think it's really time. It should have should be happening years and years ago, but it's really time for these clubs to really step up because as we say, you know, sport has such a wide range of a fan base and supporters. You know, they have all different beliefs, come from all different walks of life. And what's another what's what's another better way of doing this is banding together as sports fans to do better for our world and to make it a better place for our kids to come, our grandkids to come. And it's just these little steps that we can take to make our world a better place. So I think it's great to see this. We should see it more often. It should be a continued effort, not only just in the Premier League, but throughout all sports and throughout everyday life as well. Well, when you take a step back, sport, as much as we enjoy it, and football specifically, uh, is actually one of or one of the biggest emitters in, in regards to the way, the amount of travel that these players mm. do. You think about European competitions flying everywhere, um, the amount of even taking buses to games, away games especially. Um, so I think it's definitely time, as you said, that, that clubs and organisations start thinking about their global footprint uh, because, as we've seen, sport can be such a powerful uh, message and such a powerful influence on the people that follow it in regards to doing the right thing. We've seen, obviously, the whole thing with racism, which is still going on and, and the powerful impact that has had, and we obviously still see the players kneeling. Um, I still, I think climate change should be treated with the same respect and the same, um, I guess, the same pressures and, and same sort of um, awareness that that sort of that these clubs can bring to the fans. Um, and I think it was great to see a broadcast like Sky Sports um, in conjunction with with Tottenham, um, because I obviously the broadcasters um, have as as much influence sometimes as these are these sporting organisations as well. So I think it was great to see. We've obviously seen already in English football, um, League Two team, Forest Green, um, being recognised as the greenest club in the world yep. um, with obviously their owner is green or green energy entrepreneur, Dale Vince, who was transferring the club into an organisation which is fully run, powered by renewables. Um, so I think there, if they can do it in League Two, surely your Premier League teams can yeah. start looking um, at alternatives and the way their club's going to be run. And you'd think in the long term, that'll make more sustainable clubs if you think in terms of some of the power bills, some of these, they still have to pay their bills. They still have to, all those parts that go into a football club or into any sporting club, you think that'll also make them a more sustainable um, and possibly a more profitable organizations in the long term if they start looking at these renewable options yeah again it, it's about that long-term impact that you touched on as well and and look at the impact and, and the carbon footprint that that sport in general especially these you know international leagues what they leave and it's how how can we combat that how can we make sure that we offset that because as you said it's the flights it's the meals it's all this travel even domestically so much travel as well and then even you know your impact as well of all the fans coming in to view these sports as well you know that's essentially uh that's because of this sporting organization as well so it's really time and it should have been done a long long time ago but really really time to start thinking about this and start thinking about the long-term goal here and how you can become more sustainable as a whole and how every how in terms how we can make sport more sustainable as a whole as well not just particular clubs or leagues should be looked at as a whole sporting issue as well and how we can make things more sustainable into the future yeah i think obviously this hopefully will raise the awareness about the impacts of climate change because they are coming um, and it will be something we all as a globe need to um, 
listen to and, and be aware of. And, and obviously, there will be we will need to make changes eventually. And, and sport can be one of those leaders um, in that change. So great to see Tottenham and Chelsea getting behind it, and obviously Sky Sports. And hopefully, we see more Premier League clubs and more clubs globally um, starting to to really take notice and, and be aware of their global footprint and start to make changes uh, within their organisation. But as always, we'll end with a little bit of a lighter note. Five quick questions. John always asking me the questions this week. Ready to go? Yep, you ready to go? Let's go. All right, we got first question. AFL Grand Final Week, as we said. So what is going to be the biggest factor that's going to determine the Grand Final winner? So it's going to be the crowd, players, coach, field conditions, weather. What are we saying is going to be the single biggest factor that could potentially determine this winner? I think the crowd, maybe because it's being played in Perth, could be could take it out. Obviously, if it's been played in Melbourne, you would have got two very yep, yep. Um, you would have got a very parochial crowds on both sides. Um, potential the weather. I think the weather is meant to be good in WA this weekend, but we'll obviously see later in. I think it's going to come down to the pressure, the players, and and possibly the experience of the coaches. As I said, so this is Simon Goodwin's first grand final as a coach, and Melbourne's first. Uh, well, they're looking for their first flag since 1964. The Dogs did it five years ago. Yeah. Um, so I think it can could come down to experience. Um, as good as Melbourne's team is, um, the pressure of a grand final, you just you really don't know what it's like until you're there. So um, I think it could come down to also the experience of the coaches as well as obviously how well the players play. But um this whole week up to it is going to be crucial in just yeah. relaxing the players and, yep. and how they take it all in. So um, it's going to be intriguing. Yeah, again, uh, as you said, it's it's always a, it's a whole different ballgame going into a final. Um, so, again, the pressure could be huge. And I am very interested to see as well the crowd and how that's really going to affect things as well. Um, but switching over to the NRL, what was more surprising for you? Was it Manly essentially crushing the Roosters or was it essentially the gridlock that we had between Penrith and the Parramatta game? So which was a more a bigger surprise to you? I think the Panthers-Eels game was closer than I thought. I thought Manly, like many tipsters, I just thought the Roosters had run out of gas. Yeah, um, They did amazing to even reach where they had considering the amount of outs they have had in that team and during the year. So it wasn't actually a surprise to see Manly win quite easily. I thought Panthers would probably beat the Eels a little bit easier, but it was great to see um, the defensive effort from both teams. So probably that was a little bit more surprising on Saturday night. Yeah, I probably agree with you as well, but a great game, both both of them in, in a sense as well. Um, the experts in the NBA have spoken, and the prediction is that the Lakers are going to be winning the West and Brooklyn are going to be winning the East. Do you agree with this or do you think that there's somebody else that should really be taking in uh, to contention here? Well, as we always say with the NBA, the the regular season and the finals are two different competitions. So the Lakers could could potentially win the West. Um, I think the key for them, obviously with the roster they've gone for, they've gone for a lot of experience and age um, will depend on injuries for them and the way they're going to rotate their squad because those players are going to need rest during the year. Then They ain't going to be playing... 80 games in the regular yeah. season. So it's going to be interesting how they do it. And LeBron is still the key. As yeah. many of the players they've brought in, LeBron is the key to the Lakers. In regards to the East, the Nets look good. Um, and they'll be disappointed after last year, the way they were rolled out. Um, but obviously Giannis is bucked. They'll be, they'll be back again. 
um, and they'll be sort of determined to defend their title. But um, I can see the Lakers winning the West. But as I said, it's um, the regular season. It's a different ball game to uh, to when you get into the finals. So it'll be interesting to see how all that unfolds. Yeah, again, and in, in that West as well, you always got to watch out for my Phoenix Suns there. But um, for the Lakers as well, it's just going to be staying healthy. They just have such an old roster. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on. Um, switching over to football, Messi is still really yet to make his mark with PSG. Why? What, what has been essentially the reason that he is not off to the same hot start that Ronaldo is at Manchester United? I mean, to be fair, in the Lyon game, he had uh, he did get through and it was a great save by the Lyon goalkeeper. He did also hit the post with a, of a crossbar with a, a free kick. I think Messi will get into his groove. I think, obviously, it's been a bit of a stop-start um, beginning for him, especially when he had to travel to South America for the World Cup qualifiers, which is obviously we saw the complications yeah. with that travelling from Europe. Um, and I just even just think the emotion, as good a player as Messi is, going from Barcelona where he's been for his whole life to, to go to PSG in a new surrounding. Yes, he's got Argentinian teammates and obviously Pochettino as an Argentinian coach. But I think even for those players, it does take can take a little bit of time to settle in and get used to his new surroundings and his and his new players. And and obviously you've still got, you know, you've still got some world class obviously players in Mbappe and Neymar there as well. So obviously being able to just, you know, click in with them and and start doing what's best for the team. But, but Messi will score his goals, no doubt about that, especially yeah. in league arm. But obviously he's going to be judged and PSG are going to be judged on the Champions League. And that Manchester City game, which is the next one up in the group stage, yep. is going to be a huge test and really interesting to see how, how he goes with that one. Yeah, and I think the difference as well is, you know, Messi needs to really mold in with current stars. You know, you're thinking Neymar and Mbappe are both top five players probably right now. Whereas Ronaldo's coming into that Manchester United team and and he is that he is that star there, you know, out and out. Um, he's that star, he's that goal scorer. So a little bit different, I guess, in terms of the formation of how they're coming into Absolutely. their teams. Last one here. So as you just touched on Champions League week one, we had we had the first game of Champions League. Who would you say, just based off the first week's performances, who's that team that's gonna potentially um, be the hardest one to beat? Who who are you kind of seeing from that first week who's gonna be the team to beat? Probably the two most impressive teams that I thought in terms of the big guns were Bayern Munich. I mean, obviously Barcelona were poor, but Bayern Munich played pretty much, they were in second gear and they cruised yeah. past Barcelona. And I thought Liverpool were really impressive against Milan. I know it was 3-2, uh, but that clo- that score was closer than yeah. uh, what the performance showed. I thought Liverpool really, that especially that first 15 minutes where they had something like 13 shots on goal, yeah. they were peppering Milan. So... um. Those two were the standout. Obviously, City scoring six goals against Leipzig, but Leipzig have struggled early on in this year. So I wasn't too surprised to see Man City score a few goals there. Uh, but Liverpool and Bayern Munich were, were my two most impressive teams out of uh, out of week one. Yeah, Bayern for me in particular, just um, it's just so strong they look right now. So it's going to be um, it'll be really interesting to see if they can sustain that throughout the whole Champions League because they typically always look very very strong early on sometimes can flatten out but then as we've seen in other years they stay strong the whole time um so it'll be interesting to see Bayern if they can keep this going the whole uh, champions league but um something to keep an eye out and very excited to see these next group stage game games to come along in a uh, very short time absolutely it's always the uh, cream of the crop with the champions league but that brings to the end another episode of behind the lights with me seb and me Jono. as always thank you for your support and good night <laughs>